Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is this the zombie? No, he's a one of the spirit hunters. Okay. Um... Because you know how I feel about when people fall in love with dead things. No. Okay. No, Daniel's very much alive. Cool. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode You Literally Did Something 174 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm not well prepared to just start an episode anymore, it sounds like. Uh, I'm here with Jill. Jill, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? That was a struggle. Ugh. Gross. Struggle. Also, just realized I just like hit record without actually listening. I bet it sounds great. It actually You're is listening not... now. No, I'm, not, I'm listening now. It's not too bad. We're okay. okay. Sounds are the levels are okay. Cool. Um, how you doing? How are things? I'm good. I'm good. Good. I just told you before we started recording, I'm in the early stages of moving, so my life is all bananas right now. It's all exciting, but we're going to buy a place and sell a place and like all over the the map with my brain so um what is today's episode about because you did all the stuff i did it is historical fiction yes yay uh andrea and christina who've been on a lot recently they read not a lot. in a bad way they read yeah. a lot and they are both uh huge historical fiction fans um and so we talked historical fiction it's a wide range of you know there's some World War II historical fiction. Um, we do, I will admit, spend a good 15 minutes talking about the Tudors because we all sort of read yeah. that particular genre uh, of historical fiction. Um, but it's a bit, it's a good mix of, of stuff. I think you and I talked about going in that you guys are going to talk about the Tudors just because. Yes. If, I mean, if people have listened to the podcast before, they know that you love the Tudors. Yes. Then... Yeah. We all, we all read it. Yeah. That's okay. It is okay. Right? It is okay. Yeah, we I, try and give a history lesson, which may or may not be accurate. <laughs> it's the wonders of doing pod- <laughs> I love, I do that all the time, too, where, like, I will listen to a podcast, and I will hear someone else do, like, a history, like, they're just talking about something that happened, and in my mind, I'm like, that didn't happen. No, why? I can't believe you guys didn't look it up ahead of time. And then you start recording an episode here, and you know we may say something that's inaccurate, and I'm sure people are doing the same thing to our podcast. So, yeah, we were not prepared. I don't think any of us prepared to actually go into like a deep dive history lesson of mm-hmm. British dynasty families, but it happened. I'm so glad you were doing it. I would have been horrible. I would have been so. I, that's just not my cup of tea. I, <laughs> cup of tea. Um, that works out well for the British dynasties thing. No, I get it. British people drink tea. Joe gets it. Um, yeah, I would have done horrible on that conversation. So, Christina knows a lot about it, though. She's she does pretty pretty good there. Yeah, between the two of us, I think we figured it out. Mm-hmm. So, as of right now, are you reading anything historical fictiony? Are you reading something else? I no, I am actually because I talk about it in uh, in the podcast. I'm reading um, the Last Tutor by Philippa Gregory, which nice. is about. Uh, well, I won't I won't tell you because it's mm-hmm. in the podcast. Yeah. Um. So. I we discussed before. I think I already talked about this, but I just finished Meddling Kids this morning. It's I'm not gonna get into it, guy. I listened to the audiobook. It's literally adult Scooby Doo. I highly recommend it. And now I'm gonna start um, Hide and See or Hidden See. We never oh, forget yeah. how to say that by um oh, shoot, what's his Gregory Maguire. Gregory, Gregory Maguire. Yeah, the guy who did Wicked um, and several other things. But this one is the kind of backstory of the Nutcracker. Um, my wife and I are going to see the Nutcracker. We got fancy box seats for the first time ever. I've always wanted to do this. <gasps> I've always wanted the box seats. Yeah. So and before people hear them, they're like, wow, we're, he's got box seats money. I don't. We found a really cool deal on them. They were like 45 bucks a ticket. They're not like bananas expensive <laughs> like I thought they would be. But yeah, we're getting we – get, my wife loves the Nutcracker. So we have like box seats in the middle of December right before Christmas so we're going to go see the Nutcracker and dress up and pretend that we're fancy. Sure. I'm so excited. So because of that, this felt like the perfect book to read before then. So, um, 
Would you like me to tell people how they can get a hold of us sure. since you, it's your episode? Yeah. Okay. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com or you can tweet at us at probooknerds or find us on Instagram at probooknerds. Also, I'm really glad that I just thought of this because I wanted to talk about it on this episode and forgot to talk to you ahead of time. So we're doing this really cool thing with Penguin Publishing. Um, we are recording an episode with the president of Penguin Publishing where we're going to hand out book recommendations to some of our readers because every holiday season, Penguin does this thing called the Penguin Hotline. So if you're familiar with the Butterball Hotline, which I was like tangentially aware of when they explained it to us via email, the Butterball Hotline is this thing that Butterball, the turkey company, started I think a long, long time ago where like, you can call them with food advice during the holidays. So if you're like making a turkey for Thanksgiving, you can call them and say like, hey, what's the internal temperature have to be? Or, you know, have any questions, they'll answer them in real time. Penguin is kind of doing the same thing. Like if you call or email their Penguin hotline, they will give you book recommendations during the holiday season, whether it's for you or someone that you're purchasing stuff for during the holidays. Um, and it's, go ahead. They are publisher neutral. Yeah, they're not going to just offer you Penguin uh you know, books, which is why we were excited to do this. We didn't just want to be like, well, you guys are just going to use this to pimp out all of your books, which if they do, that's totally fine. But no, it's going to be across a whole bunch of things. So if you're interested in getting some really awesome book recommendations, what you have to do is either email us or tweet at us. Basically, uh, your name, what type of books you like to listen to or listen to or read, uh, what genre you're interested in. And then if the book is for you or if it's for someone else. And if it's for someone else, just give like a very brief description of what that person is. On Twitter, you now have 280 characters, so you should be able to do that pretty well. But yeah, um, we're going to record it at the end of November. So we're going to get as many of them as we can to do. So again, email us, tweet at us, basically the books you like to read, uh, the genres, and who you are. And um, yeah, we'll get some really cool book recommendations. Um, think that's all the information we'll, we'll talk about this a few more times leading up to our interview with them and then the actual episode will come out the beginning of december like i think the first week of december so if you are purchasing these books for the holidays or if you just want to read them for yourself during the crazy holiday season you'll have them for that time i think i got everything on the floor i don't have a computer in front of me so i think that was everything that i think so cool awesome um anything else people should know about I don't think so. I don't think so either. So, okay. All right. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoy this episode with Jill and Andrea and Christina again, all about historical fiction on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill, and with me today, I have Andrea and Christina. Hello, hi. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. Today, we are talking historical fiction. Ah, it's my niche, man. Yeah. Tell me how, tell the audience, uh, Andrea, <laughs> <laughs> when you went to your Goodreads, <laughs> I had a hundred and five historical fiction novels, <laughs> and I... I didn't think Joe wanted a six-hour podcast with me talking about all of them, so I narrowed it down to 20. It's good. 20-ish. 20-ish. Okay. My problem is is I don't actually put my books into shelves besides read or want to read on Goodreads, which I've now realized is problematic because this was difficult to, like, assemble. (laughs) But um, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to get more organized. I have a lot of books as well. I don't think I have 20. A lot of my books are, like, part of a series, so... You know, that counts as like five, but it really, does. it's like one. If you think about it, sort of one slash five. You could read the first, like you're gonna a series is like an anthology. Like you should read the whole thing. It's like one one book in parts. Yeah, with the exception of the one I'm gonna talk about at the end. You can skip the last book completely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're off to a great start. Okay, so <laughs> so I was like asking this with genre episodes. What is it about historical fiction that you both like so much? I don't know. I think a lot of the, a lot of the ones that I read, as I was assembling this list, I noticed a pattern of women in times where they were just to shut up and look pretty. Mm-hmm. And the main character is always this, like, badass woman who's like, yeah, no. And I, I just, I think it's really cool to see, like, 
these women in these these period types who are just like, I'm not doing that because I have a vagina. I am doing this because, <laughs> you know, and, like. And I, I think it's also, it's a time that uh, we can't imagine. So we don't get right. hung up on the nuances of if you're reading a book about today and, like, things happen, you're like, well, that would never. That just seems outlandish well, and ridiculous. And that was, yeah, one of my books is I was reading my review and I was like, I was so angry reading this book because of the way the women were treated and told how they were to behave that I was like, I just can't imagine basically being bred to get married and have babies and that's it. Yeah. And then, you Pretty know, much they, though. Yeah. And I especially love when it's things that I, I it's a historical fiction story that I know a lot about. Mm-hmm. And then to have the perspective of something during that time, it almost, and I'll talk about this with some of Philippa Gregory's novels, it's become almost canon in my mind that that's what happened in history, which I need to stop doing. You need to stop doing <laughs> Because that. it's historical fiction and it's not fact, but I'm like, oh, no, 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 you know, Elizabeth Woodville, she didn't like that, like, as if I knew her. <laughs> so, anyway, but I, I enjoy, I enjoy, I, you know, and anytime you're reading a book, you want to feel smarter, and I do feel like historical fiction just edges it out a little bit, makes you... Learn well, because on some level, the author does research. Yeah. Um, like, and I have, I've read historical novels where at the end they're like, here's the true facts. Here's where I took a little bit of liberty, but I wasn't far off from what actually happened at this time in this place. And ultimately, in any of the historical fiction where the it's wars or kings and queens, like, I ultimately do look it up. Like, I do oh, become interested right. in Yeah, it takes story. me forever to read books because I'm like Wait, Googling who? and Wikipedia. What, and and I always want to know what they look like, which is always unsettling because the paintings from back then never really paints anyone. Yeah, they're like always like, really... this person was gorgeous. And I look at the picture and I'm like, oh. Were they about though? perspective. <laughs> I mean, it's no true. one looks good with a doily on their head. That is true. That's fair. Well, that was the whole thing with Anne Cleves, you know. <laughs> Henry's Henry's wife. Got off, is that the one that got off the boat and he was like, ugh. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, divorce. She, yeah, she was. The, she but was, they remained she, really good friends. They did remain very good friends. Yeah. He referred to her as his sister. sister. Mm-hmm. Mm. And she was really close to his daughters and just like, a cute little, like, failed <laughs> failed like, marriage to the, like, best of friends. all of his six wives, she was the lucky one. She yeah. made out the best. You were, you know, that's, he put her up. He put her up in Hever Castle and she was like, that's fine. Don't Sorry you're ugly. She made out the castle. best. <laughs> yeah. But on the plus side, you don't die in childbirth. You didn't get your head chopped yep. off. So. I mean, yeah. Bonus points for you. Yeah, that, she got lucky. So, um. All right, who wants to start with a book series or book or whatever? I will start. So she was, this is author, was the first author that popped in my head when you mentioned historical fiction. She is Sharon Biggs Waller. And she has written two historical fiction novels and a third one is coming out next year. Um, the first one I read, though, was A Mad Wicked Folly. It takes place in London, 1909. Where, much like I was mentioning, Victoria is from a wealthy family and was bred or brought up to marry and have babies. And she decides that's not enough for her. So she is taking this secret art class with a bunch of boys and poses nude and then gets kicked out of her French boarding school. (laughs) So her parents are like, well, we are going to marry you off to Edmund Carrick Humphrey. But... She wants to be an artist. She gets involved in the suffragette movement, and she starts to fall in love with this working-class boy named Will. So it's about her kind of like, do I follow my dreams or do I follow what society expects of me? And she is awesome. I loved her character. She could tell that she wasn't. She was very torn between her two paths in life and what to do. And I think she would have been awesome friends with Elodie from the Forbidden Orchard by Sharon. Um, If their stories hadn't been 48 years apart, they would have been besties. (laughs) Um, Because Elodie is one of 10 sisters. Her father is a merchant, and he basically comes home to impregnate his wife and then pieces out, hence the 10 children. (laughs) Um, And then he, so he's supposed to get this very rare and valuable orchid, and he doesn't. So he's faced with being thrown in debtor's prison and his kids and wife going to working houses and orphanages. So Lodi's like, yeah, no. So she convinces her father to return to China to find this orchid and stows away on the boat and then dresses as a man and helps her father and this Russian who's so adorable named Alex 
find this orchid and save her family. I mean, I've seen a theme with these books that involved women pretending to. Yeah, I just was going to say, I was like, pretty much, you just got to dress up as a man. Which makes me think, like, I mean, if I dress up as a dude, I feel like no one would be fooled. Maybe they would be (laughs) fooled. I mean, it depends on what side of my body they're looking at. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I am going to start with The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, which was one of the best books I read, I think, this year. I have it as one of the greatest books I've ever read, actually. Um, I had seen this pop up on a couple of recommendations, and for some reason I kept skipping it because I think I had I had read Kristen Hanna books before, and she does a very good job, but, like, they're more on the uh, mysterious suspense soapy romance category, so I wasn't sure I wanted to read a historical fiction story by her, and I, sh- I was stupid. I should have just ignored that <laughs> because it was so, so wonderful. Um it's the story of sisters, Isabel and Vivian and Vianne, during um, World War II, and what happens in France at that time, and how their families are broken. And France was occupied um, during World War II, so, like, the Germans were everywhere. They were infiltrating their homes. Vianne actually houses a German soldier, and uh, Isabel, uh, very, like, headstrong and defiant, decides she needs to help. And, of course, there is romance along the way. Isabel ends up meeting a man as they are fleeing, and they have this, like, you know, crazy romance, and it's really well done. Um, And Vianne's husband has been called away to fight, and then he basically has not seen the remaining years of the war, and you're not quite sure what has happened to him. But the the true power of this story is the relationship between the sisters, which has always been combative, um, but it's how you find out who you are in war, and... I I think the theme of the story, you know, in love we find out who we want to be and in war we find out who we are. So that was across all the reviews and across the top part, like the actually opening of the book. So I, I thought the whole story was going to be this romance, this love story. And while I appreciate the power of that statement and how it implies to the entirety of the story, I think the true love of the story is between the two sisters. Um. And what they do to essentially stay alive and protect each other throughout the story is really magical. It's very, it's a hard book to read. It's very heartbreaking, but it's also about war. So it's the nature of war. Like, loss is just prevalent. Um, And a lot of people try to, like, compare this to All the Light We Cannot See, which I understand. It's both about World War II and differing perspectives, and you get, you know, both sides of it, but... You can't compare a book like this to All the Light We Cannot See. They're both wonderful. They just, they take their story, their stories are told so differently. And All the Light We Cannot See works for a number of reasons. The Nightingale works for a number of reasons. Read them both, but don't try and compare them. I don't like when people do that because I think it, 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 it limits both. Like, you're not, you're not seeing why one's better than the other, so. Talking about the, the sisters and, and war, that reminds me of Atonement. Yes, I have that on my list. It's good. It's a good one. Um, it was a movie that came out a couple years ago, but um, James McAvoy. Yeah. Oh, that was when I discovered oh, yeah. James McAvoy. Yeah. <laughs> that one. That one. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it too. Yes, but not as a. Nice uh, that was like my first experience with Benedict Cumberbatch too, and I was like, that guy's a, a dick. Yeah, he was. I didn't was, realize he was. It's been a while since I've seen it. I didn't yeah, he was in it. It's him. Um, that, that, I don't want to say the bad guy, but he's definitely a bad guy. I mean, but he's not like you know the main bad guy kind of thing. No, he's just kind of a... He's in the beginning, and it's yeah. more... Anyway. Spoilers. Now I, okay. Now I know who it is. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's this, you know, girl, teenager, young teenager um, in England. Um, she wants to be a writer, and she has an older sister, and um, there's a whole misunderstanding. It's probably the best way to... Yeah. The greatest misunderstanding <laughs> ever in the history of misunderstandings. <laughs> there was a misunderstanding, <laughs> to put it that way. Um, and the it sort of changes the relationship between these two sisters. and Drastically. Um, drastically. And Bryony. Yeah, Bryony. And, and uh, Cecilia is the older sister. And then there is a... Um, Potty. <laughs> That's not the word I was going to use. But sure, there's a hottie. <laughs> Named Robbie. It's a James McAvoy. Hottie Robbie. As James as played by James McAvoy. And then... Correct. And he goes off to war and it's a 
it's just I I think the the sort of perspectives you get and and how war and how these sister relationships play out and then of course the end is just heartbreaking and oh my god the end well because it's like a story within a story kind of because you think it's going to go one way and then it's it a lot of historical fiction is very sad because i think when you're using history there's the whole element of it's times of war lend themselves to really good stories like atonement like the nightingale but there's the whole aspect of war is loss. So right. a lot of the times these stories are built on loss or pain or suffering. So, like, you can't go into it being like, I want to read a happy historical fiction story. <laughs> well, I don't even – well, I mean, that's part of it. But if you consider historical fiction that doesn't take place around war, I think it's just you go for that drama, essentially. Yeah. You know? Like, you're not going to read a story where it's like, and they lived happily – well, I guess that happens. But it's like you, you don't go into it – thinking like i don't i want to these are stories that are going to make you think regardless of right whatever the subject matter happens to be right i mean you know historical romance there's a lot of the and they live happily ever after so if right. you want the lighthearted story but then ultimately you're like but then died because <laughs> this is historical fiction this was years ago everybody dies eventually they're all dead sure <laughs> everyone is dead well, all your faves. this is fun <laughs> This is super uplifting for a Monday morning. Everybody dies. Everyone dies in historical fiction just by the nature of it being historical fiction. <laughs> the White Queen, dead. The Red Queen, dead. They're also all dead. dead. If she hadn't died during the story, she was going to die eventually anyway. Probably at like 37 in childbirth. And here we go. 37. I figured you'd be dead by 37. Yeah, seriously. That seems old. <laughs> I was just, no, for the fact the white princess died in childbirth at yeah, 37. So. Anyway, you guys Oh are my god, go. spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Again! Well, see, like, that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> what's the statute of limitations on historical fiction spoiler alerts? I read this uh, Tumblr post. Somebody who was, they were like, I was at Hamilton over the weekend, and when Aaron Burr says, and I'm the, you know, the, oh my god, I can't remember the line, and I'm the damn fool that shot him, and the, she's like, the person next to me went, <gasps> and I'm like, this is history. Like, yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> or it's like uh, anything. It, my husband hates spoilers in general. So, like, we'll be watching a show and, and it'll be historical fiction. He'll be like, and I'm like, do you know? And he'll be like, don't tell me anything. And I'm like, but it's I, it's not a spoiler. It's just it's the fact. That this, this, is, this is history. This it's is happened. history. Okay, whatever. So, yeah, anyway. What were you going to talk about? You have just a book. Oh, you, you, want to, you want me to divert back to what books? Were you talking about one just now? I was talking about Hamilton. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No. That's not what I meant. He dies. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Also dies. (laughs) Oh, you too. All right. So my next is a three book. Well, three and a half if you count the prequel novella. Um, It's called, and I've been trying to get Christina to read this forever. I even gave her two of the books and she still won't read it. Because she hates me. That's it. Um, It's the Something Strange and Deadly series by Susan Dennard. And it's a little bit of a paranormal historical fiction. So the dead are rising, but it's not like the Walking Dead or Shaun of the Dead kind of zombies. Like, these are like zombies controlled by somebody. Um, And they come out. So people go live their lives and they're like, oh, the dead are rising. And then they hide and the dead go away and they come back out and live their lives. Um, So... She's having a rough time. Her dad has died a while ago. Her brother's gone missing, and her mother is determined to marry her off to any rich young man who walks by. Um, so she is at the train station, I believe, and a zombie delivers her a letter from her brother, and her brother's been taken. And so she d- goes to find the spirit hunters, who are known paranormal fighters, and she demands... That they help her find her brother, and she kind of infiltrates into their three-person group and helps them fight these undead and take care of things. And they have one of my favorite lines. Um, so she's talking to Daniel. Lovey, lovey Daniel. So she's demanding that, you know, she help them and she can, you know, you know, work with them and to find her brother and to help them fight these zombies. And he says, Misfit, you know curiosity gets men killed. And she responds with, then I dare say it's good I'm a woman. Oh, uh- 
That's a good one. And that's like her personality, kind of the whole thing. She like refuses to let her mother dictate her life. She's got to help find her brother. She's not going to sit at home and wait for these people to do it. She's like, I'm going to go out there and do it myself. I do like quotes like that when they're like, oh, this gets men killed. And it's in Game of Thrones, too. Yeah. She's like, well, I'm a woman. So. Right. But yeah, so she is, it's a very good, it's three books. Um, the second book takes place in Paris. The third book takes place in Egypt. But it's highly, one of my favorite series. And I don't, you you said you've tried to got me, get me to read this. I don't remember I this. gave you two of the books because I had duplicates. Do I still have them? Yeah, they're in your drawer of books oh, here. Oh, that's why because I, for, I put them in there and forget about them forever. I have a drawer of books that is just massive. We all have drawers of books. <laughs> I will I will read that. That sounds very good. No, I love it. Okay. I invited Susan to my wedding because I love the series so much. Oh, yeah. She responded? She didn't, she didn't come. come. Oh. But she, you know, wrote me back and... I don't like to think of a time in your life when I wasn't part of it, so. Oh, wedding. I was. <laughs> you got to shut up. <laughs> uh, Jill. <laughs> well, okay, so on similar of with, like, supernatural historical romance or historical fiction, not not a romance, um, I have uh, uh, The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell. Um It actually doesn't come out until March, I believe, but I, I read an advanced copy. Oh, and it's dark. It's one that um, has, there's two stories, both historical. One is set in sort of the 19th century and one is set in uh, the 17th century. And it's about a woman who, um, she is a young widow and uh, after her husband dies, she, um, in the 19th century, um, has to go live in his ancestral home, which is very neglected. (laughs) And she doesn't really (laughs) want to be there. Because it's all kind of like creepy and ghosts. Yeah, it's a little haunted. And um, there, uh, when she's trying to sort of like going walking around, trying to sort of understand where everything is, she comes upon an attic um, that was locked. Probably should have kept it that way, or at least not gone up when the door magically <laughs> is unlocked. Oh, so she goes- talked about this. <laughs> Strange closets in your home should stay locked. Somehow it magically is unlocked. So she goes upstairs and she finds these wooden structure. These like wooden. Um, I don't know how to describe them. They're in contemporary terms, you know, like those like standing cutout figures of movie stars or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. cardboard. Or, so like imagine those, but they're wood, okay. and they're these standing cutout figures um, of people, um, and. They're a little weird. They're a little weird. And they start, like, magically popping up in different parts of the houses, and no one moved them. So there's that going on. And then up in the attic also is is a diary of um, the woman who had one of her um, husband's ancestors who had first bought these wooden cutout figures um, back in the 17th century. And, And so you're reading this diary of these figures and like how they she bought them and they start doing weird things and weird things start happening so just like a lot of weird stuff going on um but it was really good and you just sort of envision these bizarre figures just kind of showing up around corners and that would already i like got like (laughs) nobody has like nobody claims to have moved them you know they're just like oh it just showed up i would have moved just like, move. Leave. There's weird figures that's in the attic. Part it's haunted. I, why are you there? Uh, well, yeah, that's well. Yeah. As we talked about in our horror podcast, <laughs> all these people could have like solved all their problems if they would have just been like, "Well, all right, pack your bags, kids. <laughs> House is clearly haunted." Yep. Um, it wouldn't be a historical fiction podcast if I did not mention Outlander, obviously, by Diana Galvadon, who I follow on Twitter. If she'd like to retweet a couple of the things I've said about Outlander, that would be cool. Um, so <laughs> I read Outlander. I actually did what I don't recommend people doing. I watched the show and then read the book. Not for any other reason than I was like, oh, I wonder how much I'm missing because I love the show. Like how much is in the book that I'm not seeing. What's so great about the show is like, especially the first season, they really nail the book. Like there wasn't much that wasn't in the show that I felt. You think it's funny you said nail in terms of Outlander, and it's it's not just about sex, Andrea. <laughs> it is a very female-driven show. All right, do they nail it? They d- they do very successfully. 
But um, so this story is about Claire Randall, a 1945 woman who was a combat nurse in World War II. She's home for the first time in seven years. And she and her husband, Frank, are on a second honeymoon because they've spent a lot of their marriage apart. Um, and they are in Scotland. And they take a tour of the countryside. Frank is a historian. So he's, like, you know, checking out all the historical things. <laughs> Sorry. I'm right out of what I was going to say. And Claire decides to go to Craig Nadoon which is the Standing Stones. And this is actually based in true Scottish lore. That woman would fall through the stones and fall into, like, fall through time. Craig Nadoon is not a real place. I know because I went to Ireland and I wanted to see how close I was to it and then just found out it was not a real place. Okay, so. Falls Almost canceled her trip because of it. Yeah, I was like, we can't go to Ireland anymore. What's the point? Um, she falls through the stones into the year of our Lord, 1743. Which, if you didn't know, and no shame if you didn't, was right around the Jacobite uprising, which, if you didn't know, goes very terribly. Almost all of the clans are wiped out completely. It's horrible. Lots of history lost. And Britain essentially takes over. And anyone who didn't die in the Battle of Culloden, they kill. So Claire knows this. In 1743, you know, she is a woman alone. She has a strange history. She can't really say she's from 1945, but she has a strange amount of knowledge because she's a combat nurse. So she has to sort of protect herself. And in, in doing this, the clan kind of embraces her because she's somehow managed to um, garner the suspicion of an English soldier, Captain Blackjack Randall. He's sadistic and mean and happens to look just like her old husband, Frank, which adds a whole other layer of weirdness. So the clan, to protect her, marries her off to James Fraser, Jamie Fraser, who is a young Scotsman, a hunk of just meat. But also just beautiful and lovely. And, of course, like, she's torn because while she um, is attracted to him and sees all the goodness of him, she's also bound by fidelity. She's married. And she has a good marriage with Frank. So it's this whole story of her basically trying to reconcile her two lives. And, of course, the the story itself, Outlander, is part of a huge series. I don't even know how many books there are, but a lot there's a, a lot, lot. and, and i think long. She, she's still writing yeah so i the story is still continuing and it spans years and years and years so not enough i can't say about it i mean it gets this reputation because of the tv show that it's some like super soapy sexual show and really it's not like it's not like at that at all like obviously there are scenes but there are a lot of time in between these like super romantic scenes. I know about it because my best friend Alex and I watch it and we're like, do you think they're going to do it in this episode? <laughs> and they don't. So, I mean, it's not just about that. It's uh, it, like it's it, it's very female driven, which I do appreciate. I think that's why people talk about the sex scenes in that show a lot is because it is female driven. Female driven. You know, it's it's everything, like how she feels and, the, and how she would... And Reese Witherspoon just gave this speech. Well, actually, she gave it in 2015, but it's circulating again. She said, in a lot of movies and stories and TV shows, a man looks to a woman and, or a woman looks to a man and says, what are we going to do now? And in any crisis situation, no woman ever says, what are we going to do now? We move to action. It's the like in a situation of like man, women and children, the children are supposed to look to the women because they know what they're doing, whereas men are like, ah, it's because I think. Well, it's like when they tell little kids, if you're lost, find a mom. Yeah. Because we know what's up. We know what to do in a crisis situation. We have an instinctual code that's like, I don't know, protect. Right. So this story, this Outlander story, what's so great is it's driven by Claire's instinct and skill and intelligence and all this stuff. And the men are just like, they look to her as like a figure of importance. She becomes a surgeon ultimately. Anyway, very good. Very female driven book. Very female driven show. Um, Just can't say enough about it. And he's hot. If you're there for that, he's good looking. So go ahead. That always helps. It doesn't hurt that he is not ugly. No Anna Cleves insight. <laughs> Poor Anne. Poor sweet Anne. Well, we could talk. I mean, I know we all read Tudor historical fiction. Mm-hmm. We gotta. We could talk about that. Well, I have I- a several books that I have the all the the Plagenerate Tudor dynasty books on my list. Yeah, I've done the, um, I know I've talked about it before, The Six Tudor Queens by Alison Weir. Very good. Um, Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn are already out. Jane Seymour comes out in May. Um, but she, B, 
being a historian, she does. They are very much seeped in history. Um, there is a lot of truth. She does, of course, take liberties because it's still historical fiction. But you can tell she knows what she's talking about. She she didn't watch the Tudors, and she's like, oh, <laughs> I can write. I can do this too. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so easy. Right. Um, so like Anne Anne's novels all about how she doesn't really want to marry Henry, but she's kind of forced into it by her by her family, and that's not really what she wanted in life, but. Doesn't really have a choice because her dad and her uncle said so, and Henry's obsessed with her. So she's, you know, yeah, that, kind, that kind that yeah. whole whole new perspective on her life. And of course, you know, each woman is the heroine of her own story. So in Catherine of Aragon, Anne looks like this, you know, bratty woman who's coming into her marriage. But in Anne Boleyn, she's just very like innocent and meek and mild and a um something of her circumstances. Victim. Thank you. Victim of her circumstances. So they're very good. She's doing like one a year. So I'm, I'm very excited for, for Jane to come out because that was the one that Henry seemed to have loved the most. Yeah, he's buried he next to her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He called her like her only her only true queen and his true wife. Yeah. Well, she gave probably him because of the boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's 100% why. <laughs> I always managed to die in childbirth. Oh, yeah, so I'm like, always very curious. Like, I would, would like to have known how history would have been different had she not died. Like, Two weeks or something after Jane Seymour. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, sure. I, I mean, that makes it easy. She yeah. gives you a boy and then she dies. Like, right. so we <laughs> have to like remember her fondly. Like, right. oh yeah, right. that one. Right. Um, I have the White Queen by Philippa Gregory, which is part of the um, Plagenerate Tudor Dynasty novels by Philippa Gregory. Um, the I think the one that starts this series is the Rivers, the Lady of the Rivers which is about Jaquetta, who is Elizabeth's mother. So they are a affluent family, but not royalty. And Elizabeth and the White Queen, Elizabeth Woodville, um, was married, had two sons, and then her husband died in the Battle of York versus... The other one. The Battle of, like, the Rose. Oh, the War of the Roses? No, it was before that. Well, it's, like, the battle between York and... Ta... He dies. Whatever. Her husband dies. <laughs> her husband dies fighting York forces. So okay. her husband was an enemy of York. She meets, in passing, the king of York, Edward. Edward of York. And, of course, like, she's in history as is lauded as being this very beautiful woman. And he sees her and, of course, like, just falls in love on the spot. Uh, and he's love. quite the womanizer in history as well. So anyway, she denies him enough times that he essentially woos her into marriage. Like, she's like, I will not give myself to you. Um, and so he, he marries her in secret, marries someone who is an enemy of the crown. And, of course, England's all like, well, the court, of course, is against it, whereas she is, like, the hero of the peasants because... Henry has essentially married one of their own. Or Henry. It's Henry, not Edward. Henry of York. Thank you. Edward is her son. Okay. God. Okay. So, anyway. So, they get married. They have a bucket of kids. Like, she's probably, like, the most fertile woman ever. She has... I don't even know how many kids she has. Like, it's in history, I don't even she know. She keeps popping them out. Keeps popping them out. Eventually, there's a lot of girls. And then she manages to have two sons um, with Henry... And they become the Lost Princes in the Tower of London. Aww. So oh, that's how right. that Woodville story gets started. And then Elizabeth... No, you're right. She's married to Edward. Who's Henry? Do they have a son named Henry? Henry VIII? No. Eventually Henry comes yeah, in. Yeah, eventually Henry comes in. <laughs> but there was... I thought that... Okay, anyway. So Elizabeth marries Edward. They have a bunch of kids. One of their daughters, also named Elizabeth, is the one who marries Edmund Tudor... And then Elizabeth and Edmund have King Henry VIII. That is their son. So uh, That is correct. They start the Tudor dynasty. But it starts with the Woodville, Elizabeth of Woodville and her family when York was in power. And then there's the introduction of um, the Red Queen. Um, oh, wait. No, she was married to Edmund Tudor. And they had Henry Tudor. Right? Wait, hold on. There's so why yeah, are like so many people in England are all named the same thing? Yeah. Really, sure, that's I'm, how that works. I'm pretty sure Henry VIII's mother was Elizabeth. <laughs> no, it, well, yeah, Elizabeth of York was. Well, Henry I don't know if it was Elizabeth of York, no, but it was I know Elizabeth it was, of York. Was it? Elizabeth of York's Henry VIII's mom. 
the Red Queen is Mary, who was married to Edmund Tudor, but then got, like, widowed super young when she was, like, still a very young teenager, but um, has Henry Tudor, and that family, he was, like, the last remaining remnants of the Tudor dynasty, and so she, being very ambitious, basically plays the court to get Henry Tudor into the line of the throne, even at one point, I think, building an alliance with Elizabeth of Woodville, even though they kind of hated each other initially because they were warring families. Mm -hmm. In the Red Queen, it's like her rise to power and her, like, thirst for glory. (laughs) She ends up infiltrating the court. She serves as a lady uh, to Elizabeth Woodville and kind of plays both sides, like, you know, reporting rumors to Elizabeth, but also reporting rumors to the other side, ultimately gets her son on the throne. And then her son, Henry Tudor, marries uh, the White Princess, another book by Philippa Gregory, Elizabeth of York. They don't like each other. In fact, Elizabeth of York is rumor, was always rumored to be in love with her uncle, Richard the Third, oh, royal oh, family's good old Richard the Third, which is her uncle and much older than her. And like, there's all these rumors that they slept together. The book yeah. takes that story. And okay, I finally get the color coding now, because so the White Queen is the Yorks, the Red Queen is the Rose. Is well, the okay, wait, warm me on this one. The okay. White Queen. So like, right, the War of the Roses. It was the White Rose was the Yorks. The Red Queen was the Lancasters. Those two families at some point came together, and that's where the Tudor Rose comes from, which is red and white. Yes. Now all of a sudden it makes sense. Yes. So the War of the Roses, thank you, was... The Yorks and the Lancasters. Lancasters. And this, these three women, the Elizabeth Woodville, Mary of of Tudor, and then ultimately Elizabeth of York and Henry Tudor bring about the Tudor dynasty, King Henry VIII. Right, and, and that's, that's yeah, and that's why the Tudor rose is red and white is because of all that. Yes, family all stuff. the history and bloodshed, and like it's so weird how much happens in these three stories themselves. Because like you have Elizabeth Woodville, who is completely against is completely against Edward's brothers, but then ultimately her daughter ends up falling in love with one of his brothers later on, then marries her enemy, and then has it's it, the whole nuances of this whole. It's 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 based in truth, like the actual st- the history of the War of the Roses is right. crazy enough on its own, but oh, it absolutely. makes the best kind of stories. Anyway, very complicated. Philippa Gregory does a really <laughs> wonderful job breaking it all down. The whole series, I forget how many books are in the Plangenerate and Tudor Dynasty novels. I want to say six, and it's all driven by these women. So the women are the stars of the story, and like Andrea said in her example. They're the the heroines of their own story. So it's interesting to read the White Queen and then read the Red Queen who hated Elizabeth right. of Woodville. I always have a soft spot, though, for Elizabeth of Woodville and Edward because they're rumored to be one of the few unions in the whole dynasty in the monarchy early on that was true love. So I always like that story. That's a good one. Uh, speaking of Philippa Gregory, I'm reading currently reading The Last Tudor, her one that just came out um, back in August. And it is about, um, so, uh, after Henry dies, he has his son, Edward, who, um, Jane Seymour's mom, was his mom. Um, Edward is very sickly and is not going to last. <laughs> um, like 15 or 16 yeah, when he dies. Yeah. And so, um, everything is up and is in upheaval with regard to his heir and the Tudor line because, uh, you know, we're going through the Reformation and um, religion is a big deal. And so technically speaking, the next in line should be his older sister, Mary, who is daughter of Catherine of Aragon, only Mary's a Catholic. And um, Henry had basically disowned her. Um, and then after that is Elizabeth, who, because of Anne Boleyn was her mom and... Um, she was basically disowned as well. And so <laughs> it's like a whole thing. Trying to figure out who's going to end up in power after um, Edward dies because he's going to die. So he, they go like over to, like his, uh, Henry's sister has a daughter, um, but her, her daughter, Jane Grey, um, they're all named the same freaking thing. I know. I know. It's, it's very complicated. Anyway, so 
there's like you can go find family trees you almost have all, to. you have to to kind it. of pay right. and a lot of the books will include family trees in the books unless you're a crazy person like me and you pretty much have it oh well no i have it told, I, well, yes. <laughs> that's why i'm like i know what i'm talking about i'm just trying to explain it to somebody else <laughs> without visual aids um so anyway so uh after edward dies his essentially kind of like cousin jane gray ends up um being named queen and she has two sisters, Catherine and Mary, who are younger than her, and they all kind of are married off in in one go. Um, only Jane is known in history as the Nine Day Queen because as soon as she is named queen, <laughs> things get a little cray cray, and um, Mary Mary's not having it. And Mary is not Mary is not having it. Mary was called Bloody Mary for a reason. She was called Bloody Mary. Yeah, Mary the Catholic is not having anything with this Protestant cousin thing. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, yeah, no. She's <laughs> not, no. No, no, no. Um, and so Mary comes back to claim her crown, and uh, Jane does not end well for Jane. Poor so, Jane. <laughs> she's not, very I mean, young, too. She yeah, was, like, yeah she was they were all Mary. teenagers, yeah. Um, so the last tutor is, is split into three... Um, sections. The first one is Jane Grey's story, and then it switches to her sister Catherine, and then the finally is um, the third sister Mary. So I I know a lot about Jane Grey. Allison Weir actually wrote um, a novel, a historical fiction novel about her, whose name is escaping me right now. Um, but I don't really know a lot about her sisters, Catherine and Mary. So I'm kind of excited to see where. Yeah, because there's goes. there's so many players in that whole history of. The throne, and it's. I almost wonder if Jane was like, I, I don't want that. Like, because I, feel I like don't you'd think be she like, really I don't did, but really want it because I'm going to get killed. Right. Yeah, well, no, I don't think she did because she, um, because it was just the way it came about was so bizarre. Just you know, it technically it should have been her mom, but her mom, um, w- was willing to give it up to put her daughter on the throne. Way to go, mom. Well, I think it, you know. It's that it comes back to the whole religion thing. Like they did not like at that time because Henry kept going back and forth depending on which wife he was married to. Um, so when Edward died, Edward was a Protestant, and they wanted they did not want a Catholic back on the throne, which would be Mary. Um, and Jane was very well educated in um, the Protestant religion. She was known to write letters with various scholars. Um, she, yeah, she was just very well educated and very learned, and so she was who they wanted to put on the throne. Um, and I think also because she was young enough that she could, like, if she got married, she could then produce a son, right? To right. keep the line going. Like that was what it was about. ultimately going for. Like, who can we put on the throne? Right. That'll give us like a her bunch mom, of kids. Like, bunch yeah. of boys. Right. Her mom, you know, was older. Um, not that old, of course. In Tudor time, but like, <laughs> like same thing. Twenty four, right, right. But uh, Jane was young enough, and like that, they could like that was the whole thing was to get her married, get her pregnant, and like on the throne so that they can keep the line going. But yeah, Mary is just like, no, that's not that's not happening. Storm and rolled in. Storm. She did. Yep. She storm rolled in and and took her uh, her place, and then that was a whole thing too. There's a whole story there about how the li- eventually Elizabeth won. Eventually Elizabeth won. Yes. Gets on the throne. And, and then she, she is... had, but then she had no heirs. And so she passes it off to her uh, nep- cousin. I James? Think. Yeah. And then that's the family that is in the... I don't think he's a Windsor. Um, no, he was. Um, but they trace well, he, back to the Windsor. They do. You can trace it back somehow. Um, James was. The son of, I believe, Mary, Queen of Scots, who was a cousin, because yeah, Henry's right. Henry's sister was married off to the Scots. Yes, and then it was Mary, Queen of Scots, was Elizabeth's cousin, and then um, her son. So that's how England and Scotland became combined, was by passing it on to James. And anyone listening who's turning in for like true history facts, <laughs> not the podcast for that. I know. We're kind of just we're kind of <laughs> just kind of guessing. Everyone's naming the same thing, but anyway, 
I'm, I'm sure we will get emails with corrections. Yeah, from yeah. Basically, the monarchy's cray cray. <laughs> yes. And has a lot of great stories. Romance, suspense. Murder. Murder. Beheading. Probably a couple hauntings. The princes of London are rumored to haunt the tower. That is true. That's okay. where they die. There's a lot of people haunting the tower. Let's be real. <laughs> well, I yeah, am so fair. mad. When I was in England a couple years ago, we did not have time to go to the tower. I've oh. never been. Like, I saw it from across the river, but... <laughs> I was like, they made us go when I was in college. That we didn't. I went to England for uh, for school and college, and we got off the plane and took a bus to the Tower of London because they didn't want us to go back to our hotel to fall asleep. Sure, sure. So like, I was like bleary eyed, like just staring around this like <laughs> Tower of Tort, like where the torture and stuff occurred. And I was, it was cool. Stayed awake. I did go to Hampton Court though, which was uh, known as um, mostly Anne Boleyn was known to be there when she was married to Henry. But there's, like, this big – I mean, speaking of Jane Seymour and the wife, um, there's a big painting of um, Henry and Edward, his son, and Jane Seymour um, as his wife that was painted after Jane had died and, like, Henry was on his sixth wife. But his sixth wife, Catherine Parr, is sort of knowing that he – Supposedly loved Jane the most. Had this like painting commission. Also, was probably like he's known to kill. Well, that too. People. Yeah. So I'm gonna try and right. gonna make him a painting. Because <laughs> uh, look at you and your favorite wife. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, pretty much. Please, Please don't, don't kill, kill me. me. Please. <laughs> uh, look at this lovely gift I had commissioned for yeah. you. Yeah. Also, should we maybe talk about books? Because all we've done is basically <laughs> gone over the history of England. But we were talking about books when we yes. were doing if it. If you want to get sort of like a piecemeal history of England, we got you. We got you covered. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I have one. Okay. It is the Scarlet series by A.C. Goggin, Woo! which is historical fiction, but it's historical fiction about Robin Hood and Nottingham and, like, the time of, of history. So it's it, Robin Hood wasn't real, right? I think it's kind of like Arthur. So it's like he could have been. You, was, you could argue that at some point off. he was, he's based off somebody who existed, but maybe, you know, the whole Cause it's, legend isn't true, but. The king is Richard. King Richard yes. is, like, the beloved king. Okay, so. Yeah, there was a King Richard and there was a Prince John. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. We're going to get off track. Okay. Eleanor of Aquitaine. Um. <laughs> The series is Scarlet, Lady Thief, and Lionheart, and it's the story of Robin Hood from the perspective of a girl who is in his band band of merry men. Um, she is marauding as a boy, as, you, as you'll find in a lot of historical fiction stories, yes. and she also happens to be quite beautiful, so I'm not sure how that works, but anyway, so it's- A lot of mud. A lot of dirt. <laughs> Apparently, if we cover ourselves in dirt, we look, you know, that's all, that's the trick. Put our hair under our hat. Yeah. Arch, you would never be able to disguise yourself as a boy now. We're very into our eyebrows. The, yes, we are. No one would, no one would be fooled. <laughs> um, so anyway, so she is basically along for the ride in the story of- Robin Hood's there. He steals from the rich and gives to the poor, and he de- defends Nottinghamshire. Um, and looming overhead is uh, Prince John, who is this, like, s- snake of a man who hates Robin Hood, ultimately ends up hating Scarlet as well. And in the th- kind of sadistic version of Prince John. Yeah. Like, he's, like... <laughs> he's evil AF, yeah, if you he's, will. He's not, like, you know, like, oh, I'm Prince John, and I just want to throw him. He's like, no, I will murder yeah, everybody. Yeah, so, like, so she ends up basically... Making him hate her. Right. So in the three series, it's her sort of defending Nottingham. And there's obviously there's this like love between her and Robin Hood. And it's such a slow burn. Slow burn love story. Like I'm just like, would you just smoosh your faces just together? Kiss, just kiss. Just kiss. <laughs> just kiss. And then um, there is obviously looming the, the battle between King Richard and Prince John as Prince John is gunning for his throne. And then there's this whole wonderful thing that. Throughout the story, there's a secret that not even Scarlet knows about herself. And once you determine what that is, and she has she some... She does an excellent way of interweaving aspects of the Robin Hood legend. And what really happened. And what really happened, but also in making it her own kind of story. Yes. And so almost to a point where she, she ties it back to true historical legend and fact and makes it almost like this really happened and this right. wonderful girl lived and she ends up being just like a total badass and 
everybody gets theirs in the end and it's really good and I really liked it and like Andrea said the the romance is not the main part of the story it's just there in the background and it's a really good slow burn like it's a really good development of their characters and how yes. they ultimately get together and I, I loved it sounds good very good um, I'm gonna throw it back <laughs> to my very first historical fiction so when Titanic came out in 1997, I became obsessive about everything Titanic. Um, my husband jokes that there's no Titanic documentary that I have not seen um, to this day. And I will still watch um, repeat. And I watch. He's like, haven't you seen this? I'm like, no, there's brand new information. It's true. Unsinkable um, Molly Brown. <laughs> so this is, it's a two, it's a duology. So the first book is Titanic the Long Night. And it's. Diane Ho or how H-O-H. I don't know how she pronounces it, to be fair. Um, so it's about two women. There's Elizabeth, who is a first-class lady, and Katie, who is Irish and is third-class. And it's about their experiences on the Titanic, and Elizabeth doesn't want to go back to New York. She fell in love with England, but her parents are like, no, you're going. So they go back on the Titanic, and Katie is in traveling with two brothers that she grew up with to find better lives in America. And it's about them going and trying to, you know, build these new lives. And then of course the Titanic hits an iceberg and it's them trying to survive and living through this experience. And then there's the sequel. Um, go away. Phone call alert. Um, <laughs> called remembering the Titanic about them experiencing life after going through this horrific orde ordeal and how their lives have completely changed after the long night. That makes sense. But I read it a couple years ago, and I, I loved it just as much as when I first read it. I think some of my earliest historical fiction was Anne Rinaldi. Did you guys read Anne Rinaldi? You're looking at me with, like, blank stares. She writes young adult uh, historical fiction about pretty much every period of time <laughs> that you could possibly think of. Uh, oh, man, they're so good. Um, we have some of them. My personal favorite is The Last Silk Dress, which is about the Civil War, but from the perspective of a um, young girl living in the Confederate South. It's like a junior version of Gone with the Wind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she writes about the Revolutionary War. She writes about uh, the Civil War from the North and South. Um, wait, wait, wait. Wait. Are these the books that are like Diary of? Um, some of them, I think, might be diaries but i feel like there was i remember when i was in grade school there was like a big series that was like diary of a oh no these, that's not like that these, these are just like standalone it's not a series she just sort of picks different periods of time and writes young adult and it's it's all i mean they're geared towards girls and so mm -hmm. the main character is, is you know it sort of goes back to that like strong female character um who is a victim of her circumstance in a lot of situations, but, oh, man, I devoured Seems to be a theme. <laughs> yeah, I know. I devoured those when I was younger. Pretty much anything by Anne Rinaldi. It's good stuff. Um, in more grown-up one that I've read uh, was The Illusionist's Apprentice by Christy Cameron. It is set during um, the Jazz Age, and it is about... Um, this woman named Wren, she is an apprentice to Harry Houdini and is on the vaudeville stage. Um, and she's sort of going under, she had to hide her true identity for reasons. So she, you know, is trying to keep her true self uh, and identity secret. But a rival performer's act goes terribly wrong, as sometimes happens. In all those magic things <laughs> on stage and so there's there's this new um thing in america called the fbi and <laughs> so what it, department yeah so the fbi the newly formed fbi comes to ren to kind of find out what happened and um it was it was so much fun and if you like you know if you liked the night circus or any of that stuff involving magic uh i it was it was good stuff I was thinking of your when I said earlier. I was thinking of the Dear America series oh, from yeah. like the eight to fourteen year old age range. Was like Diary of I have the Titanic one. When will this cruel war be over? <laughs> Still have it. 
I thought my soul would rise and fly. The Diary of Patsy, a freed girl. Those Got were it. those those were awesome for middle grades. Speaking of, um, I have two. It's the Arthurian around the Arthurian legend, which is one of I love it so much. I I get like stuck in like black holes on the internet over King Arthur. I believe he lived. There are two minds of people in the world: people who believe Arthur lived and people who don't. Very niche, obviously, but lots of people believe he was a real person because they've been able to find trace amounts of evidence that he did live and Guinevere was real. Maybe not so much that there was a magical man named Merlin and a sword that was stuck in the stone, but I, the Arthurian legend of the Arthurian saga by Mary Stewart. I read this a couple years ago. It's the Crystal Cave, the Hollow Hills, the Last Enchantment, and the Wicked Day. Um, There's a fifth one. The name is escaping me. I didn't end up reading it. It kind of, like, embarks on a new story. It's the Arthurian legend story from Merlin's perspective. Um, He is young in the beginning of the story, and it basically uh, revolves around him coming up and figuring out that he is a seer and he has a gift and then um, stumbling across Arthur Pendragon and knowing that he is someone of importance and, like, guiding him. And I think in a lot of the stories, Merlin is always this kind of, like, omnipotent figure. But this is kind of, like, Merlin was a person who had real thoughts and real fears. He wasn't always this, like, guiding light in author's life. He made mistakes. He was young once, too. Um, And, of course, in the Arthurian saga, the regular characters are there. You know, Arthur, Lancelot, I believe, Guinevere. Guinevere is a side character in that story. Morrigan or Morgaus. She's called different names in several different stories, but it's the same Morgan. Morgaus in the Arthurian saga is this evil presence. She's a lady of the lake. She lures Arthur away with her, like, sexual wiles, and she's evil, and they <laughs> have an incestual relationship, and it's hard and awful, and Merlin doesn't know what to do. And, of course, um, if you didn't know this, they are the parents of Mordred, who he's this, like, sniveling well, snake. when you name your kid Mordred. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he, like, looks like a Mordred, I assume. <laughs> he's got, like, dark, greasy hair and just, like, sulks all the time. He's like a... So he's like Snape. Yeah, Mordred, basically yeah. in this. So <laughs> then there's the other Arthurian story that I love, The Mist of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley, in which case it kind of spins its on, it he- on its head where, like, Morgan is not evil and like the relationship she has with author is definitely more romantic and filled with love and then like Mordred's not as awful he's almost always awful in any of the stories he never really gets a good reputation but um those books uh mistress of magic the high queen the king's stag and the prisoner in the oak that's mostly morgan's story and then how she interacts with history and you know the elements are always the same there's the sword in the stone and then there's Guinevere and Arthur. And in some stories, Arthur and Guinevere are this great, long-lasting love. And others, she's a snake that betrays him and falls in love with Lancelot. There's all kinds of different stories. Um, but I love these two in particular, if you are a big fan of the Arthurian legend. Um, I think Merlin always is such a mysterious figure. And in both stories, he's he's got a really awesome perspective. So can't say enough about that. And they're both written by women. <laughs> Andrea, last one. Um, all right, so my last one is, well, there's the first lie, which is, it was released first, but it's like a novella prequel kind of thing. And then there's Necessary Lies, which is the actual novel. So 15-year-old Ivy Hart takes place in the 1960s. So um, 15-year-old Ivy Hart is left to care for her grandmother, her older sister, who has a mental illness, her nephew, and herself, who has ep- epilepsy. So they're all living on this, I believe it's a tobacco farm. It's like tenants. Um, and then Jane Foster is her new social worker. And she be quickly becomes emotionally involved in their lives. And so she wants to help and do what's right. But her boss and her husband are like, just write them off. Just do what you need to do. Write the paperwork, check the boxes, and move on with her life, your life. And she's like, I can't do that. I have to help these women. And it's a time and place... Um, where there were state-mandated sterilizations oh. and racial tension. So she's doing with all this, and it kind of becomes, you know, does she take the drastic time to help them and do what she believes is right, or does she just write them off and do what's expected of her from everybody? So she's really warring with herself of, do I help this family, or do I just write them off like everybody else has done? Spoiler alert. 
<laughs> um, so, yeah, that was really good um, because the state-mandated sterilization was a thing. Mm-hmm. So if you were, like, mentally ill or mentally unstable, they would just sterilize you without, you know, your consent. If a social, social, social worker was like, do it, they would do it. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, that whole thing. Um, but, yeah, so it's about how these two women from very different lives kind of come together to help themselves and help each other. But that that's was a, that was really good. That's, that's, a, that's a also downer. a very heavy way to end. That's okay. We'll have to we'll leave it there and then we'll come back with all of your other historical fiction books in the future. Yeah. So thank you guys for coming on and talking historical fiction. You are very welcome. You're welcome. Anytime. Anytime. Stop tapping me. Strong ladies. <laughs> Save the world. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.